Mrs. Maxine Sarpy is a well-established and much respected community activist. She served in many local boards at the Barnwell Art and Garden Center, Mental Health Association of Northwest Louisiana, Louisiana, Caddo Council on Aging, Volunteers of America, National Conference of Christians and Jews, and numerous others. She's a former member of the Board of Directors of SWEPCO, of Southern University System Board, and the Southern Foundation Shreveport Campus. Ms. Sarpy served on the Caddo Bossier Port Commission from 1993 to 2007 and has a street named after her. She's a registered nurse licensed to practice in Texas and Louisiana. In the past, she's been employed with Krista Schumpert, uh, where she was the head, of nurse, head nurse over psychiatric division. She was director of health and education with the Community Action Agency and the area director of eight parishes for the Louisiana Family Planning Program. Maxine Sarpy is the widow of Dr. Joseph Sarpy, who is a pioneer medical doctor in the black community with a very large practice at his death. We are quite honored to have her here with us this morning as we turn our thoughts towards Dr. King Jr. observance time of the year. And as we try to consider where we are regarding civil rights and human rights in these sharply divided times of challenge, please help me welcome Ms. Maxine Sarpy. Good morning to all. I'm, I'm kind of full right now. So please bear with me as I go through my remarks with you this morning. Greetings to all of you. I'm delighted to be here. In 1991 was my last visit here when Helen Goss, some of you present may remember Helen Goss, when she passed, I was honored when her daughter and son asked me to do her eulogy. And I came and met with the pastor in the little room over to my left there, along with her children and planning her funeral. But I had many earlier visits to the church in the late 60s and during part of the 70s, I often attended services with Helen Goss at the church over on Boxdale Boulevard. Not only did I attend services there, but I also attended various programs and activities that you had in the church. As a matter of fact, that was the first Weight Watchers program I ever attended was in All Souls Unitarian on Boxdale Boulevard. I want to start this morning by offering my commendations to Reverend Barbara and to all of the members here at All Souls Unitarian Church. 
for pausing this weekend to pay homage and tribute to the late Reverend Dr. Martin Luther King. I'm delighted to be present and to share in this experience with you today. As I said, Helen Goss and I were very good friends and this offers me an opportunity to pay tribute to her as well for her contributions to the community and her contributions to the civil rights struggles. I think of her very often and one of the things, every time I hear anything about climate change, I, I think of Helen because that was one of the things that she preached about all of the time and that was almost 50 years ago. I consider myself to be a disciple of Dr. King, though I never met Dr. King. I believed in his nonviolent philosophy and his philosophy of love between all of us. He visited Galilee Baptist Church here in Shreveport in the late uh, 50s and then in 1962, he visited Little Union Baptist Church. That was his last visit to Shreveport. And I did not move to Shreveport until 1963 from Texas. I came, uh, we married in August of 1963 and my husband was practicing here. I came to town one, two weeks before an incident at Little Union Baptist Church and one week before the bumming of the 16th Street Baptist Church in Birmingham, Alabama, where four little girls were killed doing a church service on a Sunday morning. I um, want to share a little bit about the Little Union incident with you. As I said, I had been in town for two weeks. My husband was a physician. We had attended the service on that Sunday, 22nd of September, 1963. The NAACP chapter in Shreveport was having a memorial service for the four little girls that had been bummed in Birmingham, Alabama. And they had invited one of the deacons from the 16th Street Baptist Church to come to Shreveport to speak. My husband and I sat in the service along with one of his friends that I was just meeting, a, a woman by the name of Ann Brewster, who a couple of months later was found dead in her home and is still debating whether it was a suicide or whether she was actually killed. She was very, very much involved in the civil rights movement. But we attended the service and my being new in town, she was telling me about the different people who were coming into the service. And we left after the service was over, but getting to the service was quite a challenge because there were police lined up all in front and on the side of the church as if they were preparing to go to war. They were standing with, and I don't know that much about guns, but rifles or whatever, with instruments at the top that looked like bayonets sticking out of, of the rifles. There was the sheriff's department on horseback, 
And while the services were, were going on, they were riding up and down the steps of the church. So you're sitting in the church while the service is going on and you're hearing these horses just going up and down the steps and knowing who's on the outside riding those horses. There were garbage trucks lined all up and down the streets and I'm imagining that they were there to throw some of us into, which later happened the next day at Booker T. Washington High School. But my husband and I had arrived home and I was starting to undress and we received a call saying, Dr. Sarpy, you have to get back to Little Union Baptist Church right away. The Commissioner of Public Safety has gone in with several officers and they have beat Reverend Harry Blake in the church. So I, he was getting ready to leave and I was trying to throw my clothes back on to get ready to go with him, which I did. And as we were going, the church was about four blocks from our house. And as we were going back uh, to the church, he was giving me instructions. Maxine, they're going to still be all out there. The commissioner's going to be out there. All the officers are going to be out there. I'm going to pull as closely as I can to the front of the church. And when we get there, just jump out and just head for the church. And so we did. When we got there, he pulled up in the front of the church as closely as he could. And we proceeded to get out of the, the car. And then we heard this voice said, and where do you think you're going? And my husband said, I'm Dr. Sarpy. I've been called to the church. Dr. Harry Blake has been beaten, and I, we're on our way in. And we kept walking. And about that time, people in the church had looked out and, and seen us coming. And, and so they opened the doors to let us in. And when we arrived, if I hadn't seen Reverend Harry just a short time before that, I, I wouldn't have believed it because he had blood just all over him. So my husband immediately said, we have to take him to the hospital. We have to, we have to, he had three major lacerations in his head and he was bleeding everywhere. So we have to take him to the hospital. I have to have him x-rayed, you know, et cetera, et cetera. No doc, we can't take him out of here. The commissioner's still out there. We can't take him, they'll, they'll, they'll kill him. We can't take him. So we had decided my husband's office was very near there in the, the building next to Little Union Baptist Church, which is now the educational building for Little Union. And so several of the members accompanied my husband and I out the door with all the commissioner and all the officers and all the sheriff on horseback and walked next to the office, walked over to the office and got the instruments to stitch up Reverend Harry Blake's head. We stitched up his head in the church and he was kept there for a period until they felt it safe to get him out and they drove him to Dallas, Texas I see Ashley sitting there, and she's spoken with Reverend Blake, and so she knows the story. They took him to um, Dallas, Texas, to be treated in Dallas. So that was my first exposure to Shreveport, Louisiana. So you can imagine how uh, that left me feeling. I had been very involved in past years in Texas with voter registration. Uh, my, in El Paso, Texas, one of my classmates' father was Dr. L.A. Nixon, and actually they did my rehearsal dinner because my husband was not from uh, uh, El Paso, and his mother had just died two months before our wedding, August the 31st, 1963. So they did my uh, rehearsal dinner, and Dr. Nixon filed a suit that went all the way to the Supreme Court in 1927, and it was Nixon versus Herndon in which uh, blacks were granted the right to vote in the state of Texas. So I grew up around them and, and heard a whole lot about it. So voter registration 
uh, was one of the things that I was very concerned about, particularly since my parents had been voting in Texas all of their life. They, all they, there was a poll tax, they were voting. And to come and to realize that most of the blacks in this area were not voting. It was just a very few who were registered to vote because they were afraid to go to register. They were afraid of the courthouse. Uh, they were afraid of the tests that they had to take. And so uh, a gentleman by the name of Wiley Branton, who was over the NAACP for the district during that time and was known as one of the great civil rights uh, attorneys, uh, was working very closely with us at that time. And I came the director, became the director of a voter registration drive in Shreveport along with Dr. Leon Tarver, who later became the, passage, uh, the uh, president of Southern University. That was the beginning of 1964 when we started that voter registration drive. And a month later in February is when Ann Brewster was found dead in her home. As I mentioned, Ann was a great civil rights leader. She and Reverend Harry had just a few months before that taken the trip to Washington, D.C. for the March on Washington. She was found dead in her bed with a shotgun uh, that had been where she had been shot in the head. Um, and as I said, they're still debating whether she committed suicide or whether someone um, actually killed her. During that time, when we would go to her house, oftentimes there were police parked on both ends of, the, of, of her street. So that is still to, to be determined. In 1964, later that year, uh, we had the passage of the Civil Rights Act. We all know that what happened to President Kennedy in 1963. And uh, I tell you, as a black American uh, during that time, I felt that this is the end. You know, we, we, don't, we probably won't have any, any uh, chances from this point. I mean, it, it was just a very depressive time for, for most of us. But as I said just recently, that I think that... Uh, what sometimes is intended for evil turns around for good. Because Lyndon Bain Johnson came in, and at that time, uh, they, the people in the black community had uh, some reservations about the position he would take. But I think he sort of won our hearts over when in the conclusion of his State of the Union address in, the big, in 1964, his first address, he ended it with, with we shall overcome. And so certainly later that year, he passed, uh, was instrumental in, in getting the passage of the Civil Rights Act of 1964 through. Though yet, as you will hear, there was a great struggle after that, even though the law was passed to, to bring the law to its fruition. Um, I started working at Shumpert Hospital uh, with Sister Mary Benedict, who again was a civil rights activist at Shumpert Hospital. She did a whole lot uh, to try to see that the hospital um, and, and blacks employees in the hospital was treated equally. She was sent away because of her stance in that position. And at that time, um, which was in 1967, I'm jumping up a little bit, I led a demonstration from Shumpert Hospital for discrimination and that broke my heart. I, I am a Catholic, was born and reared Catholic and uh, being a nurse and 
your, your main obligation is to take care of your patients, that was one of the hardest things. It still, you know, makes me very emotional to, to actually leave off of the floor that morning in a protest demonstration. But I felt it was something that I had to do, even though it was very difficult for me to do. And of course, in 1965, there was the passage of the Voting Rights Act. And in 1966, because of the work that I had done in voter registration, I was privileged to have been invited, one of two invited to the Washington, D.C. by the Department of Justice. At that time, the Attorney General was Nicholas Katzenbach. And they uh, sponsored a conference on implementation of the Voting Rights Act. Some of you may have heard of, of Vernon Jordan. Well, Vernon Jordan was then head of a project called the Voter Education Project. And he was present and went over a whole lot of what needed to be done in the area of voting uh, rights and education in order to ensure that the bill would be fruitful. Um, the grant from the voter registration, oh, I came back and I told the NAACP and, and local residents about the grant that was available for voter registration. And Dr. Lewis Pendleton became very active in, in that, and Reverend C.C. McLean from Little Union Baptist Church and the NAACP, and they wrote a grant to the Voter Education Project, and we were able to get the federal registrars into Shreveport. We set them up in various places throughout the city. And the voter registration during that period went from uh, around 1,000 or a little below to over 11,000 registered to vote voters uh, during that period of time. Uh, when we had the voter registration drives, we, had to, we got people normally in places uh, like beauty shops and, and barber shops and places where, where that were independently owned, some of the black uh, doctor's offices or places where people didn't have to be uh, concerned that they would be fired if they participated in any of these projects. So many people were afraid to let you come to their homes because if the word got out to the people that they worked for, they might be fired and lose their jobs and, and their um, of employment. That's their source of, of living and income. So those were very trying times, but we, when we met with them, we had to teach them about voter registration and all that goes along with that during that time when they had to fill out the form. First of all, they had to take a test, and they would be asked like, questions like, what are the three uh, areas of, of government, legislative, judicial, executive, um, and then what each one of those uh, areas, uh, what the functions of each one of those areas, and various questions on the test that they had to go through. Then they had to fill out a form that had to be filled out perfectly Every T had to be crossed, every I had to be dotted. Um, you had to have the, all of the information in terms of your, how old you were to your, your, uh, the date you were born, how many months, how many days, how many years you were old. And so we had to teach them how to figure all of that out so they would know how to fill out those forms when they would go. And most of all, we had to get them over the fear of going. That's why when the federal registrars came in, we were able to get them into places where they were comfortable in going to register, and that's how we got many of the blacks registered during those years. In 1968, that was the big year where we saw a whole lot of things take place in Shreveport. 
uh, in March of 1968, uh, the NAACP that was headed by uh, Larry uh, B.J. Mason was the president of the adult chapter. Larry Boogaloo Cooper was the president of the youth chapter. And um, we also had coming on the scene in 1968, one of your own. And I want to ask him to stand if he wouldn't mind for me today. Would you stand, attorney, please? <laughs> Thank you. Thank you. I'm sure many of you already know, or most all of you already know, that that was our leading civil rights attorney for the city of Shreveport. And so many things he fought for. But in 1968, he was right along with us in the struggle, every step of the way. Um, and so there, there are not enough thanks that we can give to him for the contributions that he has made for the betterment of racial harmony in this community and justice where justice was needed and deserved. But we became involved in a number of projects. First, there was a march on the school board. And it wasn't as much for integration of schools, which weren't integrated at that time, but for the uh, equ equity in supplies, in, in books, like the, the black schools would get the old books with pages torn out and, you know, all written in. They would get all the second books and uh, the equipment in the laboratories and, and uh, the chemistry laboratories and others was just not up to par. And so, and they were also concerned about inclusion of black history in the school curriculum. And so there was a march on the school board during uh, the March of 1968. And then of course in April 68, we were all hit with the death of Dr. Martin Luther King. I can't tell you what that took me through. <laughs> um, it was a very difficult, a very difficult time. I was asked to participate on the memorial service along, the only woman on, on the platform along with Dr. Jones and Dr. Harry Blake and um, the pastor of St. John's Cathedral, then Father Jacques Weber, who was very much involved in, in the movement and um, many others. And then I did have an opportunity to travel with the group to Atlanta, Georgia for the, the services and the burial of Dr. King. So that hit us all extremely hard. And if I didn't think hope was gone when Kennedy was killed, there was a period that we all felt that hope might have been gone, but we knew that we had to continue to struggle. So 1968, the year of his death, was a very busy year for us. We set up a, um, the NAACP set up a selective buying campaign. Boycott was supposed to be an illegal term during those years. You weren't supposed to use it. A selective buying campaign. It was on the edge of downtown Shreveport. And that was uh, where, you know, employment, because in those years, downtown was the only place that you had to go to shop to buy anything. We didn't have a Shreve City or, you know, all of those um, little places. So everybody went downtown. So we thought if we, if we started on the edge of stands, which had a whole lot of blacks that purchased from them, but they had no black employees in any kind of meaningful position. So we started there and we picketed there every day during the summer of 1968 for three months. And at the end of the three month period, uh, stands capitulated and hired 
some black employees in, in the uh, record shop. And then we had meetings with the downtown owners, Mr. Selbers and a number of others uh, who own stores downtown. And we decided in our community that we were gonna have what we called the Black Christmas. So we, we had a, a little plan that we were not gonna buy anything downtown for Christmas. As a matter of fact, I love poetry, but I'm not a poet. But I wrote a poem to all the kids that um, I, I normally gave gifts to and tried to explain to them in that poem what we were doing, what, what this was all about, and that what we were fighting for. And I, rem I remember, and I wish I could remember the poem now, but I, I got a little silver dollars and I planted them uh, next to each one of the things like justice and freedom and peace and love and harmony and et cetera. So that's, that's sort of the way that went that, that um, Christmas. But needless to say, blacks were hired in the department stores in downtown Shreveport after that um, event. But it, it, it was a very difficult time because, as I said, the youth group was led by a young man named Larry Boogaloo Cooper. And every time they could arrest him, they arrested him. <laughs> for just about everything under the sun. And if it weren't for the attorney there by his side, and literally by his side most of the time, um, he, it, it would have been very, very much more difficult than it was for him because he was beaten in, in the jail and oh, just went through some horrendous, uh, uh, some horrendous treatment during that time. And, and a Reverend Johnson, who was head then of the African American uh, Bishop, of several states for the African American Ep Episcopal Church uh, was able to get Boogaloo out of Shreveport and into Birmingham, Alabama, into college there at Miles College, I believe is the name of the college where he, but he and the uh, uh, vice president of the youth group were both sent off to college there in uh, Birmingham to get them out of, of, of Shreveport. So that was all 67, 68. Uh, in 1969, the United Church of God uh, was, had a project going against uh, the television uh, stations. And we had to, we worked with them in monitoring the stations. Uh, we had a little form you had to fill out. Ashley has seen one of those forms too. <laughs> that you had to fill out and you had to give all of the, watch the programs and tell what they, how was there anything in the programs that seemed discriminatory? Did they have blacks included in the program? Uh, how did they portray them in the, in the programs and et cetera? And a suit was filed against, starting with Channel 6 because Texarkana, Dr. Denzel Burke from Texarkana and Dr. Lewis Pendleton from here were coordinating this with the church and, um, they were able to get first file against Channel 6 and, and they won the case and they were able to, had to hire uh, blacks in meaningful positions in the television stations. So that was the, um, the beginning of the, uh, the, the beginning of us having blacks in, in, in meaningful positions in the media. We, in 1971, we organized a group called Bull, Blacks United for Lasting Leadership, and the purpose of that organization was to try to get blacks more politically involved in the community, uh, elected to uh, offices and et cetera. At that time, 
The police jury, which is now known as the Cattle Commission, was then the Cattle Police Jury. And um, unfortunately, there were, were, were no blacks. But luckily, the, the way that those areas were divided, it made it much easier uh, for, for them, for blacks to get elected. But with the city, the city was under an at-large um, vote. We had a mayor, mayor commission form of government. So everybody had to vote on the mayor. Everybody had to vote on the uh, uh, chief uh, commissioner of, of public safety and, and et cetera. So each one, everybody had a chance to vote. So blacks didn't have, they had very little chance to get anybody elected. So Bull did f file a suit against uh, the city for the change of city government from the mayor commission form of government to the mayor council form of government, which allowed the election of, of, of some uh, blacks at that time. Um, first the cattle commission police jury, we had blacks there, then the school board, then the last was the city council. But those were just some of the struggles that um, we have, have gone through during the years. In 1963, after presently serving on the city council, Greg Tarver was elected as the first uh, black state senator since, we, since um, Reconstruction. And he, um, when he was elected to that position, the city council appointed me as the first woman to serve on the Shreveport City Council, white or black. Uh, since that time, as has already been mentioned, I served on a number of boards and in a number of uh, committees and groups in this community. Hopefully, hopefully, uh, they made a, a, some difference. I, I would just, in closing, say it's been a, it was a difficult struggle, but it has beginning to. Uh, change in some ways and then yet there's still so much work to be done as the attorney Henry appointed uh, pointed out at a meeting the other evening there's still so much work to be done in um, closing I'd like to say if, if Dr. King were here today uh, and if Helen Goss were here today I hope they would be able to say to me well done, good and faithful servant. Because they gave me such great examples that I have modeled or attempt to model my life after. And I hope that they would be pleased in the work that I have tried to do in the community. My pastor, Father Andre McGrath, is a member of the Franciscan Order. And the Franciscan Order in the Catholic Church was founded by St. Francis of Assisi in the year 1202. And there's a prayer of St. Francis that I love, and it's one of the two prayers that I'd like to close, uh, uh, poems that I would like to close with and leave with you today. God, make me an instrument of your peace. Where there is hatred, let me sow your love. Where there is injury, pardon. Where there is doubt, faith where there is despair, hope, where there is sadness, joy. O oh, divine master, grant that I may not so much seek to be consoled as to console, to be understood as to understand, 
to be loved as to love. For it is in giving that we receive, it is in pardoning that we are pardoned, and it is in dying that we are born to eternal life. And the last is other poem that I leave with you is one of my favorites. And it's by Henry Wadsworth Longfellow. And it's entitled, The Psalm of Life. Tell me not in mournful numbers. Life is but an empty dream, for the soul is dead that slumbers, and things are not what they may seem. Life is real, and life is earnest, and the grave is not its goal. Dust thou art to dust returneth, was not spoken of the soul. Not enjoyment and not sorrow is our destiny in the way, but to act that each tomorrow find us further than today. Art is long and time is fleeting, and our hearts, though stout and brave, still like muffled drums are beating, funeral marches to the grave. In the world's broad field of battle, in the bivouac of life, be not like dumb driven cattle, be a hero in the strife. Trust no future, however pleasant, let the dead past bury its dead. Act, act in the living present, heart within and God o'erhead. Lives of great men like Martin Luther King all remind us we can make our lives sublime and departing leave behind us footprints on the sands of time. Footprints that perhaps another sailing o'er life's solemn plain, a forlorn and shipwrecked brother seeing shall take heart again. So let us then be up and doing with the heart for any fate, still achieving, still pursuing, learn to labor and to wait. God bless you and thank you all for having me today. And thank you again. Thank you again. Thank you again for remembering Dr. King today in your services. And thank you for accepting me in the late 60s and the early 70s when there wasn't another church that I could go to except my little church over in Allendale at Our Lady of the Blessed Sacrament. But, but all souls Unitarian opened their arms to me. And so I so gratefully thank you for that today. Thank you. Thank you.